welcome to Making Sense of Movies. I'm Claire. I'm Elena, and welcome to the podcast. And yes, it has been a while, but we are back, and to hit it off, we're talking about musicals, which is, I think, a genre we really like a lot, because musicals are easy to like. They're fun. They're fun. They're exciting. Some have catchy songs. Okay. Well, to get right into it, the first movie we're talking about today is Mamma Mia from 2008, and that's directed by Gilda Lloyd. This was so good. I saw the original Broadway production when I was younger, but then I also studied abroad in Sweden and went to the ABBA Museum, and it was so great. I love ABBA. And this is just such a great way to, to get all of their songs together in one great movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Wait, at the ABBA Museum, was there any, like, references to the Mamma Mia movie? Yeah, yeah, they mention, like, after, there's, like, a little part where it's, like, what the group did, like, once they broke up. So there's a little mention of Mamma Mia, like, the musical, and then they did the movie, and then the second movie. It was very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I watched the second Mamma Mia movie in theaters before the first one, and I definitely wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, but then right afterwards, I was like, oh, I have to go home and watch the first movie. And like you said, it's just such a fun movie. It really doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, the one thing I really like about this movie that kind of pulls from Broadway a lot is just how the ensemble shows up for all the different songs just out of nowhere. I love Uh, that, yeah. that's really cool. I love also that this movie, like, never, like, misses anything. It gets right to it. Like, as soon as the movie starts, it's getting right into the first song. And it's just, like, you know, recapping everything. And it's such... It's also what I love about this is that it... they I think they didn't really film on a set for a lot of, like, the exteriors. It was, like, really some sort of island. So it was, like, so beautiful and they're just like singing into the ocean it was great yeah no that's definitely one of the things i love because it's like oh damn i want to go to like an island in greece um and just like frolic around and dance and the thing i really i noticed while watching is like all the dance moves are very simple it's like a lot of clapping a lot of swaying and a lot of pointing to different places and i was thinking like i like that they do that and it kind of fits the vibe of like we're not taking ourselves too seriously, but I also think it's because anyone can feel like, oh, if I saw this group, I could, like, join them in their singing and dancing and, like, totally nail it, you know? Agreed. Agreed. I also love, like, everyone is playing such a great role. Meryl Streep is great. Yes. Christine Barkley is amazing. <laughs> Amanda Seyfried. Colin Firth. James Bond. That other guy, <laughs> I forgot his name. One of the scars guards, all great. It was just like passing at its best. Everyone just looked like they were having so much fun. Like that's what yeah, I like no, about mm-hmm. this movie. It's just like when you watch it, you're like, everyone's having fun, so I'm having fun. Yes, uh, and especially like the people who are having fun. Meryl Streep and uh, who else did you just mention? Like her two friends. Oh, Christine Barkley. Like, yeah, they're great. all older women in this, but they're just like they've got a very natural friendship, and it's just. They're having a lot of fun with each other. And honestly, like, Hollywood just doesn't make that much room for, like, older women in movies besides playing roles of, like, the grandmother who only shows up for a few scenes of advice. But, like, no. Mamma Mia is just showing, like, all the older women just, like, having the time of their lives. Yeah, I agree. Very realistically, you know? And I, I respect that a lot. Yeah. So for those who don't know what this movie is about, we'll just, like, recap it for you. So Amanda Seyfried plays Meryl Streep's daughter, who's getting married at 20 years old. 
it's a lot. Um, and she doesn't know who her father is, and she reads her mother's diary and is like, okay, my mom, you know, had sex with three men. These three men might be my father. So she decides to invite all three of them to her Greek wedding on, like, a... She lives on, like, a little Greek island. And basically, they all show up. They all don't know who each other are, but they all know Donna, who is Meryl Streep's character. And she doesn't know that they're there. So it's basically kind of, like, everyone figuring it out. And her, like, she hasn't... Amanda Seyfried didn't, like, tell them, oh, I think, like, one of you is my father. Uh But she never decides to take, like, a paternity test either. Like... (laughs) That could have solved it very quickly, but I, I like that. And that's kind of like the whole movie and the songs. I didn't realize if you listen to the lyrics, like they really kind of flow organically with the the um plot. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um the only songs in here that like I agree they technically flow with the plot, but I don't like them that much mm-hmm. is uh the song in the beginning, Honey Honey, just because it's like what? just very no, it's a good song, but I just feel like in the context of what's going on, like, she's singing so energetically about her mother's sex life. Yeah, like, that's definitely awkward, but I think it's, like, a great opener. It, like, recaps what's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Or, like, why why she's doing all of this. But I, I see I see what you, I see kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and then the other one is that I'm like, ooh, I don't know if that works too well. Uh, does your mother know? And even though the guy in that song is definitely over 18, I always just thought that song was a little weird to me. So the song originally is sung, like, reversed, like, the genders are reversed. So it's the male um, singing to um, a female. But I don't know why, when I, like, first watched it, I watched, like, this movie in 2008 when it came out in theaters. And I that song was, like, my favorite song. Oh, really? When, when it yeah. first came out. Now I think I have other favorite songs. Um, I love Money Money because it's a real, it really gets there and I really understand um what's going on and then I also love um Super Trooper that was a great one where like they're all in their outfits and they're ready to sing Mm -hmm. I also just love how everyone is so excited in this movie I know like like Amanda Seyfried is so excited for her mom and her and the mom's friends to come out in these outfits like Mm -hmm. like if that was me I'd be so embarrassed but she's like yes let's do this yeah, because they just really don't care what anyone thinks. And they're just, like, doing their own thing. Um, it's just all so wholesome. Like, even the main plot with the fathers, it's like, if I was to imagine what the pitch room for this would be like, it would be someone coming in saying, like, oh, three guys who all might be the father of this girl. And they're like, oh, like, the three guys are going to fight with each other, right? Because, like, that's what has to happen. It's like, oh, no, not really. Like, they just all end up, deciding to be her father and they spend a lot of time on a boat together yeah my favorite part is when so they all kind of miss the like public boat to go to the island yeah so bill has a boat because he's you know this world traveler uh he's swedish world traveler i love that little ad of sweden in there and he takes them it's just like them hanging out on a boat asking about who they know and they're all like i know donna and they're like you know donna and you as the audience you're like Oh, like they still don't know and then they all get there and they're just like hanging out in this like little house together mm-hmm. oh the top of the goat house the top of the goat house and they're just like chilling they're like i guess this is where we're staying but my favorite part is when um donna like peeks and she realizes that there she peeks in and they all flash back to their like outfits for when she knew them yes that's what i so the second movie is about like how donna met all of them and i really wish they just kept the three main actors and just had them dressed like that because it was so funny 
I gotta disagree with you on that one. I like the way they did Mamma Mia 2. I think it's like, that was the perfect, like, the perfect reason for a sequel that is like going backwards, kind of pretending to be a prequel. You know what I mean? Agreed. Agreed. I just thought that would be really funny. Yeah, I also, I one of the things I also like about this movie is that, like, it flips the idea that, like, she needs, like, she doesn't know who her father is at the end of the movie, even though that's kind of, like, what you're believed to think is going to be the end. And then <laughs> this whole movie that she's, like, so excited to get married, and then she doesn't get married in the end. Wait, she doesn't get, I thought she did. No. Wait, I, I forgot the ending, because I. You forgot, Claire. So what happens is. The, oh, wait. Donna gets married instead to Pierce Brosnan. Oh my god, okay. Yeah. Damn, I totally forgot that. That's right, like shame on me for that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's what happens at the end. And then um, one of my, my other favorite part is when they're all, like, dancing at the end with, like, um, in, like, the 70s, like, ABBA suits. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really fun. I'm trying to think. Just all the, all the costumes are really yeah, the costumes are just, like, super fun, like, nods to, like, either, like, 70s era or, like, nods to, like, former ABBA outfits, which mm-hmm. is really fun. Um, and then I also, what was, like, one of your favorite musical numbers? Okay, so my favorite musical number, I think, is Lay All Your Love On Me. I was gonna say that, too! Oh, no way, really? Because it's just, like, really catchy and also kind of sexy, and then, like, after they're done flirting back and forth... There's all the random guys who pop out of the water, and I just think that's funny every single time. Yeah. And then, like, they all go onto the deck, and there's all these, like, jet boats going everywhere, so there's just, like, a lot going on, but it's all, like, very fun to watch. Yeah, and, like, they're on the jet skis, and they're, like, passionately singing in the, the sunsets in the background. That <laughs> yeah. I believe that that's my also my favorite. Oh, yeah, the good, sunset good. there is also and so then, like, pretty. Dancing yeah, Come dancing. On. Yeah, that's that's the song. That's that is. Song. That's I think like I would say one of the best songs off of this movie. Mm-hmm. Dancing Queen is just it just is what it is. It's it's great. And you know, just like the dialogue in this movie, it's just like a lot of fun. Like when we were mentioning earlier, when Donna finds them all in the goat house, and they're like, "Why are you here?" And Bill's like, "Oh, uh, I'm writing a travel piece." And Harry's like, "Oh, I'm just here on a spontaneous holiday." And then Sam's just like, uh, like, I just came to say hi. Yeah, I love how they keep playing Harry as spontaneous, and he, like, clearly isn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, where he's like, like, oh, have to be believable. I'll say I'm spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, no, you're not. And yeah, just all the, all the acting's really good in this. Um, I really don't have anything bad to say about this movie. It's just very joyous. I agree. hasn't seen it should definitely watch it. I think it's a good uh, adaptation from, like, the stage musical. Like, they really embrace that, like, island vibe. And mm-hmm. the songs were great. Everyone who sang was great. Apparently there's gonna be a third one, because the director was like, it's meant to be, a, uh, a, like, a trilogy. And honestly, I agree. Yeah, and it should be called, if it's Mamma Mia and then Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. The third one has to be How Could I Resist Ya? That just has, oh, that's how it has to be. That's good, actually. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was Mamma Mia. Our next movie in um, is going to be Moulin Rouge, which is the one you picked, specifically. Yes. I am, like, obsessed with Moulin Rouge. I originally... Okay, well, it's from 2001, and the director is 
Baz Lutherman, who also did what is Lerman? Romeo and Juliet and a movie called Australia, which also stars Nicole Kidman. And wait, Elena, was this your first time watching Moulin Rouge, or have you you've seen it? I've seen it before, but honestly, this one, I kind of felt like it was the first time, or like, I knew the going in plot-wise, but I forgot how much of Baz Luhrmann, like, his his specific things are. I was just like, oh yeah, like, I know what the plot is, it's gonna be fine, and I started watching it, and I was like, oh. Like, I, I, for, I forgot, like, the feeling, you know? Like, the energy. Yeah. And did you like it? So, I, like, I didn't hate it. I yeah. thought that it was a lot. I think it's too much Baz Luhrmann. Like, it's, it's too much in certain places. I thought it got better once they went to the main plot between Nicole Kidman's character and um, e- Ewan McGregor's character as well. Mm-hmm. I think, like, once they went them, it kind of slowed down. It's just that, like, it's very specifically, like, stylistic. Like, it goes from black and white, and then it goes to color, and then it's, like, very quick edits, and then it gets really, really fast, and then everyone's singing really loud, and there's lights, and there's different colors, and I was, like, getting whiplash in certain mo- <laughs> like certain moments. But once I think it got to, like, because was, those were, like, the singing, those were, like, the main kind of songs when they had those moments. But when it was just between, like, two characters, I liked that. I think, like, that's when, like, Moulin Rouge was really great. Yeah, no, that's understandable because it is, like, very flashy and the editing style is, like, very untraditional. Um, I personally love that about it just because, like, going through and rewatching it again, it's, like, you get so much more movie than you would with any other movie just because of how quickly they do things. That's true. They definitely get to the point which I appreciate. Uh, I enjoy I that. Every time I was to go and watch this movie, like, there's something new I see every single time, whether it be, like, oh, I missed that frame because it was going too fast, or, like, oh, I've never heard that instrument or, like, that sound in the background before. So it's been, like, really fun to rewatch each time. Yeah, I also liked when they, like, so, like, I guess Moulin Rouge is in a certain area in Paris, and then they would zoom out. Yeah. To show, like, the entirety of, of Paris. I like those moments. I thought those were, like, a little funny. Like, there's a shot when, like, the Moulin Rouge is, like, going real hard. And then all the hats, like, everyone threw their hats up. And then they zoom out to, like, that um, just Paris at night shot. And you can see all the hats. I thought that was, like, a, a fun way. I, I did I did like it. I thought, like, um, Nicole Kidman was great. Like, she, she did a really good job. And she was really beautiful. And I love the costumes, especially. It did win uh, costumes at um, at the Oscars, I believe. Yeah, that was that was really well done. What's your favorite song? Oh my god, that's so for sure. It's uh, El Tango de Roxanne. I think that might be like we my agree yet scene again. In cinema, yeah, I love that scene. But a close second for me would be uh, the love melody song, where it's like the combination of all the different songs. Yeah, I like, yeah, so tang- I agree. Tango de Roxanne is also my favorite. I think also, like, the way they cut back and forth, the drama was, like, just the perfect amount. Mm-hmm. It was great. And then I also liked the, what is it, the, um, the like, melody song. And then what was the song? I like your song, too, the song he sings to her. Oh, is that Come What May? I think so. Maybe. Yeah. That's the, Come What May is the song where they, Christian's like, oh, I'm going to write this in because it's the song that the penniless guitar player will sing whenever, like, they're in love with each other. It's like their secret song. 
Um, oh no, I know that one. Oh no, the one that he first sings to her when he doesn't, when she doesn't realize that he's not oh. like he's not the duke. Oh okay, yeah, no, I know what song you're talking about. I, that was a really funny scene too, because that's the one where um, there's a mix-up and Satine thinks he's there for sex, but he thinks she's there to hear like his poetry reading. Yeah. So a mini summary of Moulin Rouge, if you can do it, um, is. Basically, like, it sets place in Paris, obviously, the Moulin Rouge, and it basically surrounds, like, Satine, who played by Nicole Kidman, who was this kind of, like, the diamond of um, the Moulin Rouge, and she wants to be an actress, and then there's, what's his face, e, um, McGregor's character, I don't know his first name, um, Christian. Christian, he's, like, this poor, penniless writer, and he kind of gets in with a crowd of artists, and they're like, look, we're gonna pitch a play to to Satine, and hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, give us money, and through a mix-up of, of chance, they do get the money, but then they get funding from the Duke, who is in love with Satine, but Satine is in love with Christian, and Christian's in love with Satine, so it's like this little love triangle, and yeah, and then they kind of have to create this musical, which is also very over-the-top, very ridiculous in and of itself. And, and, and the play that they're doing is exactly the play or exactly the plot of the movie, too. That's true. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was so funny. Like they kind of, the play will tell you exactly how everything's going to go out in, like, one scene. Like, they'll tell you, like, yeah, this is how our movie's going to go, basically. And then they'll have the whole movie. Um, well, I think also, like, they tell you that, but you want it to go another way. Because you're, like, rooting for Christian and Satine. You're like, oh, maybe they could make it. Because, like, they're, they're in love and you want them to be together because she's better with him and he's better with her. Yeah. But obviously that doesn't happen because she coughs blood on a tissue. And if you cough blood on a tissue um, at any point in a movie, you're sick and you're going to die. Exactly, yeah. And that's what no, happens, that, which is sad. That trope, um... <laughs> yeah, no, that happens, that happens. Yeah, that's... That's the only way to explain it. That's the only thing that could possibly happen if you cough blood on a tissue, which is never a good sign to begin with, but in a movie, it just marks death. Yeah, there's no coming back from that, Satine. You just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I really love about this movie, it's like, personally for me, it's my pet peeves in movies where a large group of people is introduced at once. And I know Moulin Rouge, I wouldn't call it an ensemble, but there's certainly a lot of characters in it that you have to follow. Agreed. Um, because you've got, obviously, Christian Satine, the Duke, and then, um, I forget the other guy's name, but the guy who runs the Moulin Rouge. And then Christian also has his group of, like, actors. Yeah, and poets. Yeah, but what I love with this movie does is every character gets a chance to really shine and there's just like a lot of focus given to like where each of these characters are mm -hmm. during each scene like specifically at the very end scene where everyone's like running up on stage like they showed the bald guy and like i was usually at the piano like he's running up on stage getting involved and it's like i feel like unless you're a director who has a lot of sway over their movie that those characters are gonna get cut, you know. Agreed. Yeah, they definitely all yeah. had like interesting side characters, which I, I I did like. They all were kind of like different, but they all like kind of represented this era in, I guess what he was trying to represent this era in, in Paris, which I think was like I don't I want to say it's the nineteen twenties, but it might be 
earlier than that. I honestly can't tell what time period this is, like, supposed to take place. But, like, they all represent, like, this idea of, like, beauty, love, and freedom, which is, like, their idea that they're trying to put through in the in the play and then in, I feel like in the movie itself as well. Um, I also really liked the song Like a Virgin. Oh, that's such a funny scene. I thought it was just so, like, I wasn't expecting it. So in this scene... The Duke, who has been courting Satine this entire time, is like, is like, is like, oh, like she won't sleep with me. Like I, like, like you know, she's always working with Christian. The Duke doesn't know that they're in love, even though like they're always working together late, and, and Christian's always like accompanying them to practice on like their dates. And the guy who's in charge of the Moulin Rouge is like, oh, like she, 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 she said that you, you make her feel like a virgin. And then they just, like, go out into their song, and they're singing this, like, incredibly, like, sexy song to each other, mm-hmm. which I thought was hilarious. And the Duke's actually, like, very scary in that scene, too. He it's is. First, and, oh, I just looked up his name. Harold is the guy who runs the Moulin Rouge. Oh, Harold, got um, it. So, at first, Harold's the one who's kind of, like, going after the Duke with this song, and, like, Harold's in control. And then the it switches around. And the Duke is the one who now has, like, control of the song more. And at one point, he breaks the fourth wall, which I wasn't expecting when I first watched it. Because at that point, the fourth wall may have been broken, like, one other time. Yeah. I did write in my notes, the Duke, the Duke singing like a virgin looks like a creep. He was definitely yeah. very creep. And then right after this scene, not right after, but, like, um, what happens after is when it's, like, the night before the, the musical... And he finally notices that Christian is, like, clearly in love with Satine, and Satine loves him. And they, this is when they were doing Tango Roxanne, and he, he's basically like, okay, like, you have to come and be with me. And he's, like, very aggressive with her, and, like, looks like he's, like, about to assault her. Mm-hmm. And then someone comes and, like, knocks him unconscious. But that's the only thing I didn't like about the Tango Roxanne, is that they were cutting in between, like, this very serious assault, and then, like, them dancing. That yeah, was... but I think the dancing does, like, get more intense as that scene goes on. No, I, I, th- um, I think I think that that's, like, definitely, like, obviously they made it do that with, like, the music. But I just felt like it lessened her scene and, like, what she's going through because you're constantly cutting back and forth between, like, the Duke being very aggressive and very controlling and, like, you like you should feel fear. And then you kind of see them have this great dance. It's a great dance. Like, nothing wrong with what they're doing there. But I, for me, it felt like you weren't getting the full effect of what was happening to Satine because you're constantly going back and forth to, like, Christian being sad that she's there when I'm like, like, like she's the one who's in trouble. Like, you should, like, you knew this was going to happen at some point. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, maybe they should have given more time to that scene or at least had it more from her perspective opposed yeah. to his because a lot of this that those shots were like him looming over her and like it might have been more effective if it maybe could have been shown a different way agreed Agreed. Uh, but but fun fact about that scene the jewelry she was given uh and it's like a big neck piece basically yeah it's the most expensive jewelry that's ever been made specifically for a film it's estimated to be one million dollars really that diamond necklace she wears yeah. Oh, that was so great. And then she yeah. sings. So in the beginning, when she's Satine's introduced, she sings "Diamonds um, Are a Girl Best Friend." And then in the play, the opening night, she sings "Diamonds Are a Girl Best Friend," but she wears that necklace 
And it's like, honestly, the necklace gets what it deserves because she looks beautiful. The necklace is shining. She's all in this like blue toned, like there's a blue light on her. So the diamonds really shine. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Just, yeah, just the production design, the costumes, like there's a lot of small details that really make it like just holistically look amazing. Yeah. I think aesthetically, this was like a very well done, like costume wise production wise um there were like like for me there were some issues with with the plot but overall it was like an enjoyable story to watch olivia i watched with my sister she did not like it at all she was like i'm getting so much whiplash i don't understand why like this is happening or like or like these songs or stuff like that and i was like i was like i was like i didn't think it was that bad she was not a fan though (laughs) Any last uh, um, yeah. points about Moulin Rouge before we continue? My only other point about it is that I wish it could have been nominated for Best Original Song for Come What May, because the story behind that is that was an original song, and it was originally written for uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, but it was never in the movie. But even though it was written for it, it still wasn't eligible to be Best Original Song Um which kind of seems like a BS tech technicality. Yeah, it does. Because that's a good song. And I don't know what won that year for Best Original Song, but that definitely would have had a shot if it was nominated. Yeah, that definitely seems like a BS technicality. But we cannot change the past. What we can do is move on to our uh, next movie, which is Cinderella from 1997, directed by Robert Iscove. Who did um, the movie She's All That. Which I oh I didn't know that I did yeah I looked him up on IMDb, um, which I like that movie. But this was actually a TV movie, which like it definitely watching it it has that like TV movie budget and style. But like Whitney Houston executive produced, and she's also in this. I will say right off, this is great singing in this movie. Yes, I would say of the movies we picked, some of the best I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, Nicole yeah. Kidman, you know, other mom, like, Meryl Streep, they were all great. You got Whitney Houston. You got Brandy singing. Like, um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg sings a little bit. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to bring up because, like, the actors and actresses in this are actually good singers. So you don't have to deal with, like, overbearing audio tune. Um, and usually when I was listening to the songs in this movie, I was comparing it to the newer uh live-action Disney movies like Cinderella or the new live-action Beauty and the Beast where everyone is so audio-toned or auto-tuned it takes like the emotion and humanity out of the song which is like very counterintuitive because the whole point of musicals and singing in in musicals is that like there's so much emotion it goes beyond the point of talking that you need to break out into song yeah so it works for this because all the actresses and actors are like totally on their game because like uh brandy she was in she's been in broadway before like she was in chicago then obviously you have whitney houston who's like icon- an iconic singer agreed um, i i honestly like there were other people i don't really know like singing wise um what the, what else they were in but overall, like, really great. Brandy has such a great voice in this, and I thought she did such a good job of being Cinderella. Like, I, I believed her, and I wanted to hear more. 
Yeah, and I especially believed uh, the chemistry between her and the prince. Agreed, they had a really uh, nice chemistry together. Met at the very beginning, and like they actually seemed to like each other, and they shared the same ideals right off the bat of like wanting more freedom in life. Yeah. Uh, so some of the other Cinderella adaptions like definitely don't hit that. It's like okay, I get there's a romance, but like why is there a romance? You know. Agreed. The first like real song is the sweetest sound, which is sung by Brandy and then the prince. And they have such a good melody together, too. That's kind of, like, them kind of singing about kind of wanting to be free and uh-huh. kind of do do their own thing. And then they, like, meet, have, like, a meet-cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, The Sweetest song, Sounds was definitely my favorite song in this. Um, and I like how it's very much slowed down because I felt, like, personally, it translated to how much, like, the Prince and Cinderella were, like, thinking in those moments. Yeah, how they had, like, the same values and the same thoughts. And, like, that's why they would be good together. Not just that, like, they randomly met. Um, I did like how the production design was, like... Like, yeah, production design was not great, but the costumes were so colorful that I felt like the people in the productions kind of made up for the actual kind of look of it. Like, yeah, you can tell this wasn't actually a town and, like, where they were wasn't, like, a real place. But I felt like... Both, like, the people in the scenes made me want to continue watching, which is, like, a good thing. Like, I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would just because, like, the first time you see it, you're like, wait, I didn't realize this was a TV movie. I was like, wait. And then you, like, look at it, and I was like, oh, I don't know how, like, good this is going to be. But, yeah, it, like, you know, completely changed my expectations, so. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect going into this, but I definitely liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I also love Whoopi Goldberg as the mother. Um, when she talks about how she wants to invite 400 to 500 women so that her son can meet someone who's, go- who's going to, you know, take over and, you know, marry, I was like, that's hilarious. She was so funny. It was great. Yeah, no, I, her and definitely, like, all the other actors and actresses were, like, really chewing up the uh, dialogue they were given, like, they were just having a lot of fun, I felt Yeah, like. it definitely seemed like it was, like, a fun place to be. I also liked how, like, technically like, the ugly stepsisters weren't, like, ugly because of their looks. It was more just because they had terrible taste in clothing. Yeah. Which oh I, my God. I wrote down, um, I liked the way they were dressed just because it was, like, so mishmash. Agreed. Know? They were just trying to wear too much. Yeah, they were just trying too much. And, but they were stuck. Anything they put on, it was so funny. Because it was just, like, clearly too over the top. Yeah. Like, if they, like, some of the stuff they actually wore wasn't, like, if you took it all, like, out. Like, some of the pieces actually weren't that bad. But it's that they paired it with, like, bright colors and, like, crazy hats that it was, like, a little too much. <laughs> uh, speaking of the stepsisters, though, they always had, like, very good sassy lines. They did. Uh, I wrote down the one from the very beginning, and it was Minerva, who was one of the stepsisters, saying, did you ever see such a lazy girl in your life? And then the mother's like, who are you calling lazy? And then she says, not you, stupid, Cinderella. And then she's like, oh, who are you calling stupid? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I also, yeah, I liked them. And then I also liked um, the song The Prince is Giving a Ball, just for, like, the sheer amount of people in that scene. Like, they're, like, when they, there's, like, basically, like, Prince doesn't want a ball, and then he meets Cinderella, and he's like, you know what, I want to meet this girl again, I'm going to throw a ball. And Mm -hmm. the, like, Lionel, who is his kind of, like, I want to say maybe, like, assistant type guy, 
is like super excited getting all of it there's like all these like really fake props which made me laugh out loud but like everyone was so excited and there's like a ton of dancing you you know you zoom out in this great shot and everyone's like dancing like the butchers dancing and the florists are dancing everyone has like their own fun prop it was great (laughs) yeah no that scene was a lot of fun and i i always respect scenes that just have like a lot of extras because i feel like that would be really hard to do you know just as a director yeah it was definitely like a fun a fun scene to like watch and i was like having a blast while watching it it was great and then this isn't like a knock on the movie this is just more of like a knock on the cinderella story in general is that whenever the prince is like oh i need this shoe to figure out who this girl is not by looking at her face that always that still annoys me though well the whole Um, thing was that the stepmother put like a that's stepmother um, the fairy godmother, Whitney Houston, she, like, kind of put a spell on her so that no one would recognize her. Oh! Yeah, yeah, because, I think so, because, um, she was, like, she, because she was, like, oh, like, what happens if, like, you know, like, my stepmother sees me, she's, like, oh, I'll put a spell on you. I think they did uh, that also in the live action, uh, too, where they were, like, they were, like, oh, um, you know, what if, what if, like, how am I going to see? So that's, like, I feel like that's why, like, that makes sense why the shoe is so important. Because he wouldn't be yeah. able to recognize her anyway. I also loved um, the Whitney Houston's entrance. She was great. I love how she's very, like, against this, like, dreamer attitude where, like, you should just dream for something, but you shouldn't, like, go out and do it yourself. Yeah, which is, like, she, she said at one point, if you want to get out, get out of here, you have to do it yourself. You can't just, like, dream for it which I thought was, like, a great message because I feel like there's, like, that criticism against Cinderella that, she, like, she doesn't actually, like, do anything. She lets things, like, happen to her. Where, yeah. like, this kind of turns it around where it's more, like, she gets more agency because she's deciding to go to the ball, not that because the fairy, mo- fairy godmother is, like, making her. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, they did give Cinderella a lot more depth than this because she even has that one song called um, In My Own Little Corner where she's... Yeah kind of singing about the opportunities that she could have in life and it's like even though she doesn't isn't set on one specific thing it's good to know that like oh like she wants to do other things and she's got all these ambitions and that's why like it's so important of her to like have her own freedom yeah i like that um and then uh, the animation for the pumpkins was like a little scary to begin with (laughs) animation was not great but it turns into a beautiful pumpkin carriage and they sing, like, there's one song where um, the fairy godmother is like, everything's impossible. And then once Cinderella goes, they're like, everything's possible. Actually, everything's possible. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, they were cute. They were cute, for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else uh, you want to say about this movie? Um, just that, like, I thought, you know, it was a great happy ending. Um, you know, he finds her, obviously, this is Cinderella. But I thought, you know, everyone did a great job. And, like, the music, I feel like the voices here were some of my favorite to listen to and I think really like the performances really made this movie as great as it as it it is yeah no I, I definitely agree with that uh I would I would recommend this movie uh especially to younger kids because this is a harder hard movie to find I feel like because I don't know if it was made by Disney it must have been right I don't think so because it's um it's based off of Roger and Ham- Hammerstein's Cinderella which is a, a musical uh, well, I, regardless, like, it's definitely a hard movie to find, like, so this is one I would, like, 
verbally tell people, like, oh, this is a good movie, you should watch Yeah, like, it, you know? send someone a link to it, you know, make them watch exactly. it. Exactly. It is on YouTube if you want to watch it, because that's where I watched it. Agre- that's also where I watched it. Um, oh, very nice. And we're moving on from movie with a happy ending with a movie with not quite a happy ending, Cabaret. Um, this was uh, directed, I think, by Bob Fosse. I watched the FX show Fosse vs. Verdon. Great show. It did. There was, like, a whole episode about Cabaret, so that was, like, kind of fun that I actually got to, like, see this movie. Um, you can tell, obviously, like, the dance... If you know, like, who Bob Fosse is, he was a chore- uh, dancer, then he became a choreographer and, like, a director. Um, and he did the choreography for this movie. And if you've ever seen, like, Chicago, or which is another musical he, like, on stage was the for, they have very similar, like, style-wise about it and then also dance wise but um I like this movie it is definitely has a much darker message um than I think any of the other ones like I feel like Moulin Rouge can get pretty dark but this one's literally takes place in like 1931 Germany and Berlin and like ends with like like the kind of you know uprise of Nazi and you know Hitler but it was, I, I, like, kind of forgot that was happening. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a musical. It's going to be fun and exciting. And then the at the end, I was like, oh, yes. Yeah, no, this was... I have never watched Cabaret before, but after watching it, I do want to go back and watch it again just because the this movie is very smart and just very self-aware of, like, all the themes it's trying to put together. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it's about how the main characters, which is... Um, Sally, Max, and Cliff, who Sally, she's in the cabaret, but she also, like Satine, wants to be a movie star. She's played and by... She meets um, Cliff, who is... Uh, is I think a, is he a translator from England who comes over to live in Germany? He's getting his PhD. But getting he's PhD, from, he's from then, um, Britain. Yeah, and then Max is like a multi-millionaire who Sally and Cliff both end up meeting but really about how ultimately these characters are ignoring the problems about Nazi Germany and how, like, it's basically at their doorstep because there's, throughout the whole movie, there's, like, a lot of subliminal, like, oh, there's posters in the background that people are just walking by, and there's very few scenes where there's actually uh, Nazis in them. I feel like there's more than you think. I counted... There was the picnic scene, which we have to talk about, because that scene was, like, very, very shocking to me. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's the beginning. So, in the beginning of the movie, which kind of um, is different, they kind of, like, mirror it in the end, or mirror it in a different way in the end, is where, the beginning, a Nazi is being kicked out of the cabaret, mm-hmm. and then at the end, you see Nazis being seated at the cabaret, not being kicked out. The idea that, like, they're kind of gaining control, whereas, like, before, mm-hmm. they were you know, being shunned upon, and then there's, um, not Max, a Cliff, he, like, beats up, he, he gets beat up by a bunch of Nazis, and the, and then I guess there was that, yeah, it's like, three or four scenes, I guess for, like, a movie that's not that many. I feel like they definitely, like, stuck in my mind more, because it was, like, shocking to see them, because the, the way the movie takes place is where, like, you're with people who are, like, living their best life, or trying to live their best life, so you kind of ignore the fact that all these, like, horrific things are coming, or just because I feel like that's how the movie kind of takes it, and then it kind of becomes more shocking at the end when you realize, oh, like, even if they are living their best life, like, there's still worse things to come. Yeah, and I feel like the few scenes with the Nazis, like, that's exactly how it plays out, too, where it's, like, 
with the picnic scene, there's just a boy who's singing this song, Tomorrow Belongs to Me. And you're just watching this boy's face. And at first it's like, oh, let's, it's a song about hope and perseverance. And then you actually see that it's a Nazi who's singing the song because originally you just saw his face, but now you see him in his whole uniform. And you're yeah. like, oh God, like now this has a whole different meaning to it. Now it's about like fear. And, and the worst part is like, there's so many other people at the picnic who also are not in Nazi attire, but they're also standing up now. Well, yeah, so, I think it's it's yeah. the idea that, like, they're gaining c- control and, like, popularity. Because in the beginning, yeah. like, Max says, oh, like, like oh, I don't care. They kind of pass a scene where there was, like, some sort of, like, protest or something. And Max was like, oh, like, I don't really, you know, I don't care for the Nazis. Like, let them take power. We can control them. And then at this scene, it's where you're seeing way, way more people, like, go and sing with this kid who's singing about, you know, his homeland and, you know, like, ancestry and things like that. And, like, Cliff says to Max, oh, do you think you can still control them when, like, this entire small village, like, not in Berlin is being really taken with this message. So, obviously, like, there's kind of this idea where, like, people didn't take it seriously, or at least, like, Max being one of those people who didn't take it seriously and was kind of like, oh, like, it doesn't, like, we'll be fine. We're obviously, like, it, you know, as a as a watcher, it's not going to be fine. I did. And you would especially think that these characters in particular would be paying more attention just because I think they mentioned Sally is an immigrant and then Max and Cliff are both gay. Um, well, I feel like they're, they're the, no, because Cliff has a relationship with Sally. So I think, I don't think they're gay, but they're like. They enjoy the company of more than one uh, gender. Yeah, um, but, like, they would still be... Oh, yeah, they not, yeah, not they would definitely be... Um, they would want to go after. Yeah, that that's true. Um, <laughs> but I did think that, like, this movie did, like, address a lot of things. Obviously, there's that um, idea of, like, fascism um, in the background. But, like, the main story is about, basically, Sally and Cliff kind of like their relationship so they start out like cliff basically comes goes to the cabaret oh no goes to like a meet sally because they live in the same apartment like they both rent rooms and she's like on the cabaret come then he gets taken with this world and her in the cabaret and like she liza minnelli was great her eyelashes great in this movie like she does such a good job dancing Mm -hmm. um her songs she's funny like, I think she did, like, a really great job. And then there's also, I forgot his name, but he's the kind of, like, announcer for the, um, for the cabaret. Oh, the one who sings in the very beginning. He sings in the right. beginning, and then he has a couple other songs in, throughout the movie. He was also kind of funny, and... Oh, I think he's just called the Master of Ceremonies. <laughs> he doesn't even have a name. I'm not sure if he was ever given a name, but no, he was really good, because... He's in, like, the opening and the closing, and it's just, like, the song he sings, singing, like, Welcome to the Cabaret, it's, like, very, almost mesmerizing. Yeah, it definitely takes you, and it gave me, I feel like definitely there were some, like, inspiration for, like, that Moulin Rouge took from this movie. Like, the idea of, like, this one girl who everyone loves and this kind of, you know, sanctuary from what's going on in the rest of the world, that this is, like, art and music. I thought, like, they obviously took some inspiration there, and it was done really well here. And then there were, like, some odd cuts in the movie. 
I don't know if you've noticed that, but there was, like, a moment where, remember when they were, like, underneath the train station, and he was, like, gonna scream? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it, like, cuts to, like, the Nazis, like, beating up um, this guy from the club who originally, like, threw the Nazi out, and they, they I think they, you kind of, like, context clues take out that the Nazi, like, killed this guy, but it's such, like, because I guess it's, like, the idea, like, you're, that's not what you were thinking of in that moment. Yeah. And it's just, like, or right there to remind you. Like- they're screaming, they're, the reason they're underneath the train screaming is to, like, to hide their scream. Maybe that's why they made a correlation to it in that cut. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, how did you feel about the relationship between Cliff and Sally? I, I like them. In the beginning, I could obviously see, like, oh, Sally's definitely into him. And mm-hmm. she says this two different times, where she says, have you got a cigarette? I'm desperate, which is like kind of her pickup line. Yeah. Uh, He's very I forward. Really, I wanted them to stay more friends. Which they do in the beginning. Like in the beginning, yeah. she basically like she's very forward and she's like, I want to be with you. And she well no, she she asks him if he if he like if he doesn't if he doesn't only sleep with girls, like implying that maybe he also sleeps with men. And he doesn't answer, but he says, like, I have slept with women, and like it just didn't end well. And he's like, I'd rather be friends. And she like respects him. And she's like, sure, we'll be friends. And then there's like this one moment when her father comes to visit or supposed to come to visit and he doesn't show up and she gets very upset. She's like very close with her father and he kind of comforts her. And that's when like their relationship starts. But I also feel like Sally isn't someone to like stay connected to one man. Like she's very much like living her best life, like trying to be you know, just, she just wants to have fun. She doesn't, like, want to be tied down. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as she gets together with Cliff, she meets Max. And she essentially asleep is, like, sleeping with him and, like, they're all having fun together. And it was kind of like a thruple situation going on. Did you get that vibe? Oh, no, I, de- I definitely did. And it also kind of reminded me of The Great Gatsby a lot. Not that, like, obviously The Great Gatsby, that wasn't a thruple, but just three people who are, like, kind of doing whatever they want for the moment and kind of ignorant to the problems going on around them. I agree. Um, And also lots of money because Max was a millionaire and, like, he had a super fancy house and, like, took them on a boat, which was, like, a fun scene. Yeah, that Um, was fun. Oh, I love that scene when they're on the boat. Like, it, yeah, that scene definitely also helped it where I was, like, I was, like, oh, it definitely seems like, Max is also into Cliff, and Cliff is also into Max. At first, like, Cliff didn't like Max because he Uh was, like, who was this guy, like, trying to steal Sally, and um, Max gets him, like, a golden, like, cigarette holder. Uh And Cliff was like, I'm not using it. And then he does use it, and there's, like, that stare between them where I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, obviously he he likes him in some degree. And he does eventually, like, um, admit to being with him. Which, yeah, which, which I thought that I was a funny scene. That scene written down because it's, oh, screw Maximilian. And she says, I am. And then there's a long pause and he just says, so am I. <laughs> and it was just like both where we're like, like, it's the idea of like, oh, like, you weren't supposed to be shocked that Sally was sleeping with him. But Cliff is also like, you know what? I did too. I cheated on you with him and you cheated on me with him. <laughs> so we're even. <laughs> there's also like that side plot with, Fitz, who, um, Cliff, when he comes to Berlin, he teaches English to Germans, and he teaches to this one guy, not Cliff, um, Fitz, who's pretty poor, and then he also teaches 
um, English to a woman named Natalia. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, like, have their own love story, except she's Jewish, and he's he's not, and so she's like, um, she's like, I won't marry you unless you're, you're Jewish. And then also, I feel like that's the only, that moment, there's one other moment where, like, they've kind of acknowledged, like, that, like, there was a problem with being Jewish, where, like, she, her dog gets killed by people, uh-huh. and it says, like, Jew in German on her, like, in blood, on the do- from the dog's blood, like, on her courtyard, and then she, when she's talking to Fitz, or she's talking, I forget who she's talking to, she's like, oh, like, I'm Jewish, like, I know what that means here. And it's the idea where, like, I feel like they're one of the storylines where, like, they're acknowledging what's happening because it's immediate to them. Yeah, uh, and he's also acknowledging it because he's Jewish, but had told everyone that he wasn't. Because he, um, he knew he'd be safer if he didn't. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to admit I'm Jewish for her to tell everyone and for me to get in trouble, but I also love her. So eventually he does, and they do get married, which was, like, a nice, but then it's also kind of sad because you, like, you know what's happening, and you're kind of, like, they're married and they're happy, but, like, it's kind of, like, a sad note to it because they both kind of realize what they're doing being, like, Jewish during this time, or at least, like, she has a much more clear idea of, of what's happening. Mm-hmm. But... There's also that one song where, um, who is it? Um, the guy, he's, like, dancing with, like, um, someone dressed up in a gorilla costume. And he's mm-hmm. thinking about how he loves this gorilla. And if you've only seen this, like, gorilla in um, my eyes, you'd see how beautiful she is. And you wouldn't see at the and at the end, after he's done singing this, at the end of the song, like, you wouldn't see that she's Jewish. And I was like, mm-hmm. interesting. Trying to do some sort of commentary there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that surprised me, because, like, I I always saw, like, the, the Kit, Clat, Kit Kat Club as being a place where it's, like, no, no politics at all, at least yeah. on the stage. So yeah, that's what I thought, that too. that scene definitely surprised me, and then there was another scene where they were, like, dressed up in uniform, too, dancing around. Yeah, um, there was a... Yeah, which was I thought were, like those that. were interesting choices to make, especially the thing with the gorilla, because that one I, like wasn't expecting at all yeah i think that obviously that line was meant to like i feel like shock the audience because like i think at the first you're like oh it's funny like whatever like let him do what he wants and then he says that and everyone is kind of like oh like you're trying to say something (laughs) yeah but yeah i don't know and then so during this time like when all those things is happening max eventually leaves at the same time that cliff like gets really angry at sally and decides he like goes and confronts nazis and he's like like what you're saying is terrible and they they like beat him up mm-hmm. um and then he i think on his own decides to leave he um well sally reveals that she's pregnant and he's like you know what like i don't care if it's mine or max's um but like i'll take care of like that baby like it's my own um like we can go back to i think he's in oxford or something or cambridge we'll go back there and we'll like raise the child in britain because he doesn't want to stay in berlin but then uh-huh. Sally decides to get an abortion anyway. Which is, like, a, a very Sally move on her part. It was very Sally like, move. It's very established that she is focused. She's, she's focused on her career. Like, she does want to be a movie star. Um, but just that would be something that would hold her down. Just and I feel like something she might, like... And it's kind of just not, like, who she is of, like, oh, I... And my own person have the ability to, like, go out and do whatever I want when I want. 
I, th- I think also, like, she realized she might, like, resent it, resent, like, her own child later in life because she has this idea where, like, she wants to do what she wants and she knows if she were to have this child, like, she wouldn't be where she wants to be in life. Yeah. And so, like, but she doesn't tell Cliff. So then Cliff, after that, was like, look, like, I really don't have a reason to stay here anymore. And he's like, you should come with me. Things are getting bad here. And, yeah, she doesn't leave. And it's the end. The end of the movie, I thought, was, like, so, like, not what I was expecting. It's, like, her singing, like, the welcome song. And she comes out and does the same dance she does in the beginning. Except now there are, like, Nazis in the audience. And I was like. Yeah. And that seems very scary the way it's kind of. It's a weird reflection on the screen, sort of. Mm-hmm. So it's like first you see just one Nazi in the audience, and then you just see like more and more and more as it the um it pans over. Yeah. Um. So that was definitely really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your favorite song for this? My favorite song for this. <laughs> um, I do like the one they have in the beginning. Uh, just with that one guy singing, because I think his voice, it's so unique, um, and how he, like, goes through and, like, names all the different girls working at the cabaret. Mm -hmm. I like maybe this time she sings that one, I think, after, like, they decide to be together, and she's like, you know, maybe this time, like, it'll work out. Uh Uh-huh. And I, uh, I like that, I like that one. Liza Minnelli has a good voice, so it was definitely... Definitely a good choice to her. Yeah, to sing. she she's just so fun to watch. She is. Um, she was great in this movie. But yeah, this is definitely. I'm definitely gonna end up watching this again because all the themes in it are just very remain relevant. Agreed. It's definitely like a good rewatch. Rewatch because also it's not. I was like reading up on like if this was based off like a musical um, play that was then based off of like a series of short stories. That was about, like, a British writer who had gone to Berlin, kind of like our main character, and had wrote a, during this time, then had wrote a bunch of short stories. So, like, the movie definitely, like, it's not really like the the musical. Because so I was reading up on, like, what, what happens in the musical. Like, yeah, there are some of the same characters, but it's kind of a different experience. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Emma, uh, Emma Stone had played um, Sally in the Broadway play for a while. Yeah, I remember when that came out. Yeah, it's definitely, like, a lot of, I think it's, like, a lot, a very, like, iconic movie. I know it's in the Smithsonian. Like, this movie is in the Smithsonian, like, for, like, kind of saved for, like, the idea that, like, next generation, more, like, people in the future will watch it. Um, Like, one of, like, the greatest. So, like, it's definitely worth it. It's It was well done. Like, the dancing's really great. Very Bob Fosse classic. You know, loved close together. Loved, you know, yeah. a lot of legs. And definitely the most smart musical I've seen so far. Yeah. I think of, of this list, very smart, I think, in how it was approaching, like, these big ideas and these, like, important ideas in this form. Because I feel like there's this idea that musicals are, like, very family-friendly. Friend- like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have, they don't have to approach, like, serious topics. But this one definitely does that in a, in a very, very well-done manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very eloquently put. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Okay, so we're going to move on to Singing in the Rain next. Um, and this is from 1952 and directed by Gene Kelly. Um, and this was actually the first time I've ever seen this movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because the thing is, I thought I had seen this movie before because when I was really little, I was in a dance class 
where we were doing a scene from Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. but they had only showed us the one song, oh. like the, the only the one Singing in the Rain part. So I started this movie, and I was like, you know what? Even though everyone talks about Singing in the Rain, I have just no idea what this movie's about. And I really love this movie. I think I know. It's, a, it's a lot of fun, uh, and I think it's funny how it's a movie about, or it's a musical about bringing song and sound into the movies. The transition from silent film to talkie, which was like a very interesting time in like movie history. Yeah, I I like that too. I thought it was like really, really well done. I love the kind of um, production, like the colors, the palettes they have in this movie and the costumes and the way they use dance and song and kind of like wind and movement was so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it follows, I think I would say like our two main characters, um, is Gene Kelly, who plays Don Lockwood, who is this very famous, um, silent movie star who realizes there needs to be this transition to talkies and he wants to make the transition. So he still has a job. Um, and then he meets this young actress named Kathy, who is played by Debbie Reynolds, both did such a, a good job. Like, they both have wonderful voices. Gene Kelly was, like, so great. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so during this transition um, to talking movies, they realized that Don Lockwood's his, like, you know, leading lady. They do all these movies together. They pretend that they're a, a Hollywood couple so that they'll sell more movies. Um, her name is Lena Lamont. And she, like, you see her in these movies and you think she's so grand. And then she starts talking and she has this, like, very high-pitched, like, New York accent. And she's a terrible singer. And she does not know how to, like, not use that accent. So she, you realize very soon she's probably not going to transition. And it's about how, like, he wants Kathy to be this leading lady. But they kind of need Lena for contracts. So it's kind of, like, how they do all this. But I don't know. I thought it was, like, funny and well done. I liked the songs. Um, what do you think? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely liked it. I was going to comment on... Uh, the comedic aspect of it, just because comedy in film is very hard to, like, uphold through history, you know? Because yeah. just the, what we think of is funny is just always changing. And I just love the comedy in this feels very modern. And I think that's because a lot of it is physical comedy, which yeah. it just kind of holds up well, I think. Um, there's that one song of make them laugh and it's all about kind of just physical comedy in general and just the other scenes with comedy in it is like when Lena is trying to film her um, film her scene and she keeps on moving her head back and forth so the sound keeps on cutting yeah. out or um, um, there's another they scene make- when they when they finally show this movie this movie that was going to be a silent movie that they make into a talkie and it's terrible like the the sound doesn't match up to what you're seeing so it's like it's like a little bit it's um i think a little too slow so when he says the line it's actually it's her voice that you're hearing i thought that was pretty funny yeah because that still happens like that's a technical difficulty that happens to people especially in the era of zoom agreed yeah that still happens so that's still really funny and at one point, the microphone was, like, right near her necklace and, like, right near her heart. So you could, like, hear all the sounds her necklace was making and, like, hear her heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, which was, like, too loud over what people were saying. So 
I, I just think it was really funny. Yeah. I think it definitely did a good job. I also liked the story between, like, Kathy and Don. Like, how they meet is that he's trying to escape from this movie premiere. And he basically, like, lands in her car. And she's, like, very confused. Um, and he's, like, he's, like, oh, can you just, like, drive me someplace? And she's, like, fine, I'll do it. And she, like, ends up insulting him because she's, like, oh, I'm a real actress. I do theater. And, you know, you're, like, a movie star. Like, you know, you're a movie star. That's not real acting, which I thought was, like, a fun play on, like, movies in general because, like, you're watching a movie. You're watching these people act. Yeah. Um, and then you find out that she's, she, they, like, Dawn goes to this party and there's this cake and she, like, pops out of the cake and all these girls come in, they all sing this song, and he, like, I love how the way he, like, talks to her, he's like, oh, so are you about to go, you know, spout out some, you know, soliloquy right now and be a real actor? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And she's like, oh, like, I don't know who you are, I don't like you. Yeah. No, the dynamic between those two are really funny, especially because in the car scene, it's, like, very obvious that as soon as Don became famous, like, no one ever said anything like that to him in his life. Yeah. So, like, Kathy shows up, and, like, she doesn't care. Like, she's just her own person, so she'll say whatever. I don't know. She would, like, Debbie Reynolds plays her really well. Yeah, she's kind of got, like, a little spunk to her. Um, and then, eventually, she kind of also, because she's, like, a really good singing voice, she kind of makes it into talking movies, too. And they meet again. I love that scene where... In, when, you know, she's like, oh, like, are you, like, you know, into Lena? I, like, read in this magazine that you two are together. And he's like, oh, so you've, like, read magazines about me. Um, I thought, like, it's like, oh, I, I thought you said you didn't like me. I thought I said I wasn't a real actor. And she's like, maybe I've seen all of your movies. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's Relatable. Real. I was like, that was great. Yeah, um, I also fun. love after the scene, after they're, like, originally reunited and he sings this love song to her. That's, like, my favorite song from the musical. I think it's, like, so beautifully done. Like, it's this idea where they walk into the set, and she's like, oh, it's just a set. And he's like, no, no, it's not just a set. Like, we can make it whatever we want. And he, like, you know, she has her get on a ladder. And he's like, oh, you're in your balcony. And he puts on a light, and he's like, this is moonlight. And there's a little bit of a wind. And they he sings a song basically saying that, like, we're meant for each other, and I want to be with you. And he just, like, keeps looking at her so lovingly, and they, like, dance together. It was great. Loved it. Yeah, no, they do make a really good couple. Um, and then Lena comes in, and she's angry at them for two reasons. One, because uh, she likes Dawn and doesn't want Kathy with Dawn. And second, because Lena is probably upset that, like, her voice isn't that great, and Kathy does have, like, a very mm-hmm. um, good voice. And Lena doesn't know this, but Kathy has actually been doing all the lip-syncing for her. Yeah. Um, without... Lena knowing until the very end, but you know, even though she ends up being the villain, Lena, uh, I ended up feeling kind of bad for her a little bit, just because the transition between doing silent films and talkies, like, was really difficult for a lot of actress, actresses in real life. Uh, I was thinking a lot about Buster Keaton during this movie, just because, like, physical comedy was so much his thing. Um, and he ended up signing a deal with MGM, and they took away so much of his creative liberty that it contributed to, like, his alcoholism. And I, I don't know. I no, just... I, I agree with you. I think they kind of make Lena as this villain, but I kind of, I don't see her as that. And I don't like how she was treated at the end of this movie. But I kind of see her as she's just, like, a female artist struggling to transition. And they made everyone hate her, but I feel like 
for her, like, she's just trying to, you know, she's just trying to, like, gain some agency in her own career. Because in the beginning, like, she wasn't supposed to be in the movie. Kathy was. But then she's like, you know, like, my con- I still have a contract with, with you. I have to be in this film. And then when they find her sing, they're like, oh, it's not good. We'll get Kathy to do it. But she doesn't have to know. And then she finds out and she's just kind of like, look, like, you can't, you, like, you can't do this to me. Like, you're, I'm still in contract with you. Like, I still have a job. I should still be able to work. And everyone's just kind of, like, letting her down. And, like, what she does is kind of shitty. So, at the end, when she realizes that, like, Kathy is singing for her, she makes, she basically says that you can't do any bad press to me. That's in my contract. So, therefore, you, it can never be known that Kathy is the one singing. So, for all the rest of my movies, Kathy has to sing. And Kathy can't do any movies of her own because then people would realize that it's not my voice. And that yeah. would look bad on me, so you can't do any bad press. Which is honestly, like, smart on her. Yeah, it actually was. Like, it's, it's a pretty smart plan, I have to admit. Like, I did not see that coming. I was like, oh, like, that was good. But I don't know, I, I end up in the end feeling kind of bad for Lena. Like, kind of being like, she's just the product of her circumstances. Yeah. Not necessarily, like, and also, like, like all these people, like, let her down and are, like, mean to her behind her back, and I'm just kind of, like, you know, like, let her be, and then at the yeah. end, what they do is, so like, you know, the, they redo this movie that was supposed to be, um, a silent movie into a talkie, when the first round doesn't go well, they kind of reimagine what it's going to be, and the movie goes really great, and then everyone's, like, oh, we want Lena to sing, and she was, like, I don't want to sing, like, I can't sing, and then they're, like, no, it's fine, Kathy will sing for you, so they have uh-huh. her sing, and then all the men, like, you know, pull up the curtain, and everyone in the audience, like, it's this huge auditorium, like, laughs at her as the one singing. Yeah. And I get it, because, like, Gene Kelly is trying to be, like, oh, like, look, look who the actual star is. You know, I, I want her to succeed in her life, but I'm like, why does she have to succeed while putting down Lena, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I just, Lena kind of reminded me of the, the sharp hay of this movie a little bit. Like, I, I get it, you have to have a villain, but it's like, do you have to make the villain someone who's worked hard all their life, and now it's just like, other people come along, and I don't know. I I agree, that was a great comparison. The Sharpay effect. <laughs> the sh- yeah, we have to, we should make a list of all of the characters who, the, the Sharpay characters. Um, what did you think about that random song they kind of just like put in there? It's called, I think, the Broadway Melody. So they basically have this, like, huge, like, six-minute song that has nothing to do, like, plot-wise. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was so cool. No, I thought it was so well done. I feel like a little, like, I just wasn't expecting it. I think also because, like, my brother was telling me this was, like, very common for, like, movies, musicals during that time because they wanted to show their, like, budget and their, like, singing and dancing ability. So this was, like, a normal thing. But essentially, like, during the movie, kind of when I think before the movie within a movie comes out, he has this entire song where he's kind of, like, this guy going to Broadway, which is in the plot of the movie within a movie, but still doesn't make sense. And he's kind of, like, trying to dance on Broadway, and then he, like, dances some more, meets this, like, woman in green, and then he's all of a sudden in this, like, party, and he sees this woman... And then the party goes away, and it's just them two having this ballet. Mm-hmm. And it was very beautiful, very well done. Still a bit confused. The, the ballet part, I think, confused me the most. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah, no. It was just, like, 
cool all around. And actually, now that you say that, like, oh, this was common for musicals back then, it kind of reminded me of the, the epilogue scene in La La Land, where it's like, yeah, that this kind of doesn't need to be here, but, like, it's very cool, and it's very intriguing, like, yeah. engaging, you know? Yeah, you can definitely see, like, where Damien Chazelle, like, took some of his inspiration. I think definitely during the song, what was the song where they say, um, it's that, it's the love song that Gene Kelly sings to, sings to her. Oh, You Were Meant For Me. Um, where both of them, once she gets down that ladder, they start to kind of dance together. Mm -hmm. Which, like, was really, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I can see where that scene was very similar to something I saw in La La Land when that first, like, scene where they're dancing by the sunset. Because it's Uh similar tone, like, it's both, like, a purple toned. And they Mm -hmm. both kind of, like, tap dance and, like, it's supposed to be, like, this love song to each other. And, like, that's another scene. Um, I also like the, I honestly, I liked, like, the dance-wise, like, the ballet scene was really cool. Because it's this woman basically wearing, like, this white dress. And she has this huge white fabric that is just, like, flowing. And they use that fabric in the dance and, like, all the lighting. And it looks like wherever they are is, like, going on forever. Mm-hmm. It was very kind of, like, surreal, but very cool to watch. Yeah, and just, like, all the colors in that scene, too, against her white dress. It was very, like, um, a magical, magical scene. Like, she seemed very ethereal. Yeah, oh, that's a good word for it, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, um, thinking that. But I do agree. I think it was, <laughs> this scene was just to show, like, all right, guys, this is what we got. Like, we have Gene Kelly. We're going to show him. subtle movie. But this scene is like, all right, we're just going to throw it against the wall. This is going to be super fun. It um, was, it was cool. I kind of did forget about it just a little bit because it's like, oh, yeah, that was kind of random. But I, I see no reason why I shouldn't be in the honestly yeah i think like now that i like i think about it i'm I'm, like i don't want it not in the movie because it was well well done so much fun yeah yeah it's just like it was that one thing where i was like hmm like that's an interesting choice but i like like it Mm -hmm. Uh, i didn't know this but debbie reynolds was 19 when she filmed this oh really yeah that's like so young she was she did she did a really good job she also has a beautiful voice yeah, so I'm definitely I'm definitely a fan of this movie, and I could see why it's held up, and it's definitely going to yeah. continue to be one of the all-time wait, greatest musicals, I'd say. I feel like we never talked about, like, the, the titular song. Wait, wait, what song was that? Singing the, in oh, the Rain. Singing in the Rain song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's also a fun scene. But, you know, he's not really interacting with anyone in that scene, so I can see not how it gets overshadowed, but... There were other parts I liked more than that scene. Agreed. It was so think... cute, though, because he was, like, just so happy and just, like, dancing around. Agreed. Know? I also just like how, like, the movie that, like, Kathy and Don end up making in the end is Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it's just, like, you know, it's all come full circle. And then, like, he, like the <laughs> song he sings, the name of this movie, the name of the, another movie within the movie. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... That's kind of like my last point. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Um, You know, subscribe, comment. We have an Instagram. We have a Twitter. Please give us a follow. And thank you. Have a good day, week, whatever. Bye.